Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Friday, everyone, and uh, you know it's a, it's a great Friday, and we are uh, wrapping up the week here. and And I wanted to take advantage of having a really good friend uh, come on the show today because um, we we could do hours of conversation, and and I have, uh, which has been a, a privilege and an honor in person. Uh, but we only get one hour with him today. So for uh, the Friday show, I'm so privileged to have uh, my friend Andrew Claven on, who you know as uh, the host of the Andrew Claven Show at Daily Wire, and he has um, just such great perspectives on really everything, but especially uh, the the wider perspective of culture and worldview and connecting some of these pieces from um, not only the Hollywood entertainment industry that um, he was involved in for a really long time um, in California uh, before Daily Wire, of course, wisely decided to leave. Um, and then uh, and then just looking at um, the grander scope of what influences politics. And so he's actually informed my worldview quite a bit um, with what's going on in the entertainment space and uh, and why that's important for us to recognize um, what are some of these, you know, messages from the entertainment industry and and also why largely uh, isn't the uh, the the Christian um, community and and the Christian uh, authors and and, um, and Christian entertainment and movies really getting into um, the space as effectively and um, so I kind of wanted to start there but first um, Drew thanks so much for joining me today oh it's great to talk to you Jenna as always. Yeah, well, so you know, let's first start there, kind of with your your background, and um, you know, this question I think of why we often think of um, Christian filmmaking as as a little bit more B grade, um, and it's not just talking about box office value and and all of those things, but um, but why kind of this cultural commentary seems to be a lot more just you know the the happy little roses over here on the things that we're allowed to watch <laughs> that are G rated um, for for the Christian. Uh, filmmaking industry and and why what's kind of the worldview behind that? Well, one of my one of my favorite stories about Hollywood and uh, Christianity and religious filmmaking uh, is you know when when Mel Gibson made his beautiful movie The Passion of the Christ, uh, it kind of convinced the people in Hollywood that religion wasn't as dead as they thought it was. Nobody they knew uh, had any religion or went to church or anything like that, so they thought there was no religion. Then they realized, oh, gee, there's this money to be made uh, through the faith-based community, as they call it. And so a lot of them started these uh, divisions within their companies to make faithful films. But because, of course, they didn't have faith and some of them were openly hostile (laughs) to religion, uh, they, they couldn't make them well. So uh, so, for instance, they would make uh, a film about Moses, and the star Christian Bale would go out and give an interview and say, "Well, Moses was a terrorist." And then they wondered why uh, the you know religious audience didn't show up for the movie. But my favorite story is about a film they made uh, about Noah, 
they made a story of the flood, and of course they had to change it to uh, show their religion. So God destroying the world uh, destroys the world by flood, not because of human sin, uh, but because we weren't environmental enough. Uh, and so it was a green <laughs> movie. Uh, and, and was AOC one of the producers? Was, you know. I know, I not that I know of, but maybe she snuck in there without my finding out. But, <laughs> but here's, the, but here's the, the punchline to the joke is this. Christians complained about the film not because, some of them complained about the fact that it was, uh, you know, totally changed, <laughs> rewrote the scripture. But what people complained about a lot was the fact that Noah uh, gets drunk in the movie. Which is funny because that, in fact, is, of course, a scene out of the Bible. That is one of the few things in the movie that was actually accurate to Scripture. Uh, and, and this is, to me, why, on the one hand, we're, going to, we're not going to get good uh, Christian films out of Hollywood very often. But on the other hand, we're not going to get good Christian films out of the Christian community either. Uh, there is a tendency uh, in uh, at least American evangelical Christianity— uh, to lose what the Bible has in spades, which is the tragic sense of life. Uh, the idea that this life that begins with our birth and ends with our death uh, is, in fact, or begins with our conception, really, and ends with our death, is a, is a tragedy. It's a sad thing. We, we get sick. We lose people. Everybody we love uh, will die. We will die. It is a sad, sad thing. We have faith that there is a bigger system uh, that is not tragic, that in fact is beautiful and perfect, but we know it's not this one. <laughs> you know, that's why we have a belief that something has gone wrong, that there's a fall, that there's original sin. And to me, too much Christian entertainment, and by the way, I don't want to sound like I'm against happy, you know, G-rated Christian entertainment. I'm not. It has a place. It's, you know, it's, it's fine. Um, but it's why we don't make the big pictures, the important pictures, uh, that I think need to be made, and not just pictures, but novels and uh, even articles and all the, all the ways that culture is affected, because we want the Bible to have this happy talk uh, attitude that it simply doesn't have, it never had. And, and I mean, I, I frequently, I write crime stories, and so they're involved with bad people who do bad things and sometimes use bad language, and certainly uh, even good people in my stories are deeply flawed and do terrible things, just like in real life. And I frequently get letters from Christians who say, oh, well, I'm not going to read this, I'm just going to read the Bible. And I think, well, are you going to read the scene in the Bible where Lot's daughters get him drunk and seduce him to have incestuous sex with him because they think the world has ended, uh, you know, and they want to make sure they can get continue the human race? Or do you want to have the scene where King David, who's a man after God's heart, seduces a woman and then kills her husband to keep him from fighting? I mean, the Bible is filled with human Inter, human sinful interaction because it is about the world. It is about the world we live in. And so we have this double problem, which is that the leftists in Hollywood, and that's almost everybody, uh, really don't like God very much, and they really dislike religion as it's written. They want to change it and rewrite it to make the things that they believe in, uh, you know, godly. And the Christians don't really want to look at life very honestly. Uh, which is the first thing you have to do if you want to be an artist, is look at life honestly and then tell people what you see. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the fellow who said you've got to see, you, you've got to see what's, what's there, but you've got to see, you've got to see what you see. You've got to tell what you see and you've got to see what you see. And that's what, what an artist does. And so we're really kind of in a bind. Um, Christians will not support, a lot of Christians will not support honest 
artwork. Uh, and of course, the left just hates us. <laughs> they just say, hate us, and they hate Mel Gibson, and they hate the fact that they even have to have a Christian uh, uh, division in their in their studios. Um, and so that's that's I think why we're not getting as far uh, as we should get. Hmm. And I'm talking with uh, Andrew Clavin from The Daily Wire. And, you know, you raise a lot of, of really good points there. And why I find this conversation fascinating is because um, Christians do often want to to simply look at um, what is and they use, I think, somewhat out of context, um, you know, the verse, of course, in the New Testament that what is whatever is um, pure and lovely and yes. righteous, you know, dwell on these things. And of course, that is talking about renewing our mind in Christ, and we should be dwelling on the good things. We should turn away from evil, all of that. But we can't turn away from the fact that we are inherently evil as a human race and that we always constantly struggle with our sin. And so, of course, entertainment does not have to be gratuitous. We don't need to glorify these uh, these scenes or um, or or have you know some of this um, really dark and disturbing. Uh, types of scenes like like I think about Game of Thrones, which I personally didn't watch, but I heard the storyline was good. And, you know, and there was a great Babylon Bee article that said, um, you know, the Christian version of Game of Thrones, um, the the husband uh, got through in 20 minutes and, you know, the entire series <laughs> because, um, you know, the clean, the, the pure flex version. Right. So um, so I think that there is a lot to be said for making sure that what we're watching, there's a purpose. But but because the human condition is filled with dark and tragic um, stories and and truth that that we are flawed. These are the types of stories and stories of redemption and ultimately the redemption in Christ that we do resonate with, and we have to uh, we have to encounter not just in the entertainment industry for our pleasure, but also what will inform us in all of our other. Um, aspects and and all of our professions. I mean, I certainly encountered quite the spectrum of, of people when I was a first a prosecutor, then a criminal defense attorney, and then even in um, other types of civil litigation. And, you know, these are people who, I mean, you never get to court when everything's going fine in your life, whether that's criminal or civil. It's just, you know, this is when conflict is happening. And generally, when when sin or something bad, you know, the, the contract didn't go the way that you expected. And, you know, it's not just all happy and roses. And so how how do you draw the distinction in entertainment specifically? Because people could say, okay, fine, well, you know, you have to encounter bad people in life and, you know, tragedy happens if you're a doctor working in a hospital. But for purely entertainment, why don't we just focus on the G-rated? Well, first of all, it's such a great question. And uh, here, let me make a distinction. You brought up Game of Thrones, a really good example. Um, Game of Thrones, HBO used a uh, a trick, which is jokingly called sex position, which is that when they had to have a scene where somebody was explaining, you know, which family was which and who was killing who, they would have two people talking in the foreground to give you this information. And then to keep you watching, they would have two naked women having sex in the background. That is uh, clearly uh, pornographic and exploitative. That's a really terrible thing. Uh, and But they would do it for the first two or three seasons until they got you hooked on the stories, and then it really kind of faded away. 
At the same time, there were Christian commentators who looked in the fact that people cheated and killed and uh, betrayed one another. And one Christian commentator uh, actually said, they're acting as if Jesus Christ were never born. And I thought, well, I believe that Jesus Christ was not only born, but died and rose again. But I still see people killing each other and seducing each other and doing terrible things. So one is uh, exploitation or exploitation, and the other is storytelling about the human world. You, you do want to, I, I believe, I mean, if that quote, if any quote has been thrown at me more than any other, it is that one quote about uh, keeping your mind on good things. Uh, I truly believe in that, but I don't believe it means what they think it means. I think the highest quality uh, in life is truth, is telling the truth. And if you're not telling the truth, uh, you're not saying anything. <laughs> you know, if you're not telling the truth, you're, not, you're actually not communicating anything worthwhile at all. To, to give you another example, because I think this is so important in understanding the arts. First of all, I don't want anybody to look at anything that they feel is going to destroy them. I, I know there are some good uh, horror movies out there, but I won't watch a picture that's going to put ugly images in my mind uh, like that, especially if it, it, if it derives its delight. The delight of the art comes from violence uh, or from uh, gore or something like that. I just, I just don't watch it. I mean, I, I think people have the right to make it, but I don't want to see uh, a woman tortured on screen if that's the source of the pieces of the work's energy. Okay, that's a very important distinction. So I won't watch a slasher movie, for instance, because I know that the excitement from that movie is coming from watching people getting torn to pieces. On the other hand, a very scary, tense movie uh, called A Quiet Place uh, came out a few years back, a film so suspenseful that I actually watched it in the theater tied up in knots. I mean, my body was like twisted. Uh, it was so suspenseful. It's, but it's a wonderful movie, and it, it's a movie about a family uh, with faith. You actually see them uh, saying grace, uh, being chased through a post-apocalyptic world filled with monsters, right? Uh, they kept the gore uh, kind of off-screen. You saw it some bad stuff, but not too bad. Um, but the, the key scene in it is the mother giving birth. You, you can't alert these monsters because they can hear everything, so you have to be very quiet. And she's trying to give birth silently while a monster stalks her through the house. It, it's a scene that has stuck with me forever because it was such a beautiful scene of a courageous woman doing the central thing that women do, which is bring life into the world with death stalking her coming up through the house. And it was so exciting and so um, uh, redeeming in some way. So it's, it's wow. like it really matters the intention behind the images and the intention of the story and all those things come into play when you're watching and, and we're gonna take a break the arts. Right here, we're talking to Andrew Clavin uh, from The Daily Wire about entertainment. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And we're having a great conversation this morning about truth in entertainment. And I think we can kind of distill it down to that. And then what does that actually mean for the arts and how should Christians participate in and actually create uh, art and and create film and be part of this industry that largely is dominated, unfortunately, by leftists. And uh, and it didn't used to be that way. I mean, you look at uh, some of the the most brilliant pieces out of the Renaissance and the Reformation, and you know some really great artwork um, that was glorifying um, the 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 relationship that God has with humanity and. 
um, and some really vibrant, just just beautiful pieces. And then, you know, and of course, modern art uh, tends to be a lot, you know, very, um, <laughs> very um, dystopic and very uh, sad and very... Um, there, there are probably better descriptors that that Andrew Clavin, my guest, could give, but um, you know, but really not an accurate depiction of reality. And and so, um, Drew, before before the break, I'm talking with Andrew Clavin, um, my good friend, who's the host of the Andrew Clavin Show on Daily Wire. Um, you were talking about this film that um, is so suspenseful and and the intent of the piece. Um, even though it was in kind of this post-apocalyptic world, was actually good and truthful, even though it was set in a um, in a suspenseful context. And contrasting that between um, films that I would agree with you, I don't watch that are just if, if they get the thrill and the entertainment just from being horrifying or just from being ugly or just from glorifying. Uh, sin. There's a difference, I think, between showing sin truthfully and showing depraved characters truthfully and accurately, even if they don't end up getting redeemed at the end of the story. Because, I mean, Judas did not end up getting redeemed at the end of his story. And it's a tragedy. Right. Um, and, but then there are some that, that are the heroes that do get redeemed. Um, so I think that this contrast is one that is very much worth considering because so many of the great uh, books and films that have the most complex characters are the characters that are wrestling with their sin that they struggle with the most. Even if the film doesn't call it sin and they don't have, you know, kind of this overt uh, Christian context, if they're showing truthfully uh, the depravity of humanity for a reason that we can look at that and say, you know, wow, that that character is, I wish he had chosen differently. And, and we think about these things because we are influenced by the the larger entertainment world. And I think back to, you know, books um, that are that are by Christian authors or even non-Christian authors that are just really good, even works of fiction, not just telling true stories, but truthful stories. And so why why is it that the modern Christian era seems to think that some fantasy, for example, that was written, um, you know, 100 years ago, that's fine, but if we if we have a film that shows sin or is fantasy, um, for example, I mean I, I've known Christians that say, well, we can't um, have any uh, films that you know that show um, like like Aladdin, for example, back in you know that when before Disney went too woke, you know, back in um, the early 1990s, you know, well, Aladdin has a genie and magic doesn't exist like that, so we as Christians can't participate in that at all, even if the theme of the story is good. W- why the contrast in our current culture? Well, I think for one thing, it's a it's a puritanical, literally in the in the. Uh, tradition of the Puritans, downgrading of the human imagination. The human imagination speaks to itself through stories, through representation. There's no way for me to explain to you, for instance, how happy I was when my child was my first child was born. I can't tell you, I can't com- communicate that happiness to you, except if I write it in a song, if I write it in a story, if I tell it in a work of art, you can see it and you can, I can share that experience with you. And that's how the human imagination works. It works through symbols and it works through stories and it works through representation. So, for instance, when Christians attacked Harry Potter because they said 
that you're not allowed to be a wizard or whatever it was. I was thinking, you know, Harry Potter is actually a pretty Christian story. It's certainly a story about good versus evil, uh, and it's a story about life beyond life, and it has all kinds of uh, Christian uh, ideas in it and ideas that would be acceptable. But it takes place in an imaginary world where people can wear funny hats and do magic, you know, and so you just understand that it's speaking to you uh, through fantasy, you know, and I think that uh, the, the funny thing is, is Christians, and this is true of conservatives in general, they always like stories that were told in the last generation. So the next generation of Christians will say, oh, Harry Potter, why don't they tell stories like that anymore? And part of the reason will be the Christians rejected it when it came out, you know? And, and I think for me, I start with this. My, my, to me, the greatest writer in, the, in any language, as far as I know, uh, is William Shakespeare. I know that's kind of not very original, but it just happens to be true, so everybody knows it. Uh, and if you look at the writing on Shakespeare, a lot of academics who tend to be uh, irreligious are always saying Shakespeare is not a religious writer. Stephen Greenblatt is probably the most uh, uh, accomplished Shakespearean scholar in America, uh, said he's the most secular writer. I completely disagree with that. I think Shakespeare is the most Christian writer uh, because what he's done is he has imbued everyday life and history with Christian reality. So he shows you all the terrible things that people do, but he also shows you how the moral uh, web is bent by those things. Macbeth is a great example. The guy kills everybody who gets in his way. He murders children. He does ter- He's just a horrible, evil guy. And he ends up delivering one of the greatest speeches in the English language on how there's no meaning in life. And life is just a, you know, an idiot pacing on a stage. And uh, it, it, tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace to dusty death. And it all means nothing. And what you realize as you're watching the plays. Oh, yeah, when you separate yourself from God, when you separate yourself from the moral order, life does become empty. Life does become uh, useless and meaningless. Uh, if Macbeth is not speaking the truth there. He is speaking the truth. Shakespeare does this again and again. Uh, I believe he was a, I personally believe he was a Catholic. In fact, so does Stephen Greenblatt, uh, that he was, a, a, you know, had to hide that he was a Catholic. And so he worked his Catholic theology into the very fabric of human life and history. And that, to me, is what uh, Christians have failed to do. If I, I don't want to run on forever, but uh, you know, I, I wrote a book recently called The Truth and Beauty about the great British poets and how even when they didn't believe, they can teach us something about the Gospels. And I, it was a bestseller, and I got wonderful comments on it, but I got a couple of letters, a few letters, from Christians saying, well, why do I have to read about these drug-addicted, promiscuous poets when I can just you know, read the Bible or read about the saints, most of whom also had terrible problems as well? And my point is that if Christianity is true, and I believe to every cell of my body that it's true, then it's true about everything. It's true about our actions in this broken world. It's true about every blade of grass. You can find it everywhere, and you should. And I think that that's what the arts at their best can do and what Christian art has stopped doing. Mm, So well said. Um, Andrew Clavin from Daily Wire. And and I think this... um, this kind of disdain that you know not not everybody in this you know this certainly isn't meant to be you know kind of a a condemnation on on Christians who want to emphasize the Bible I think we should of course um, always be reading the Bible but it doesn't have to be exclusively that and I think there is also a danger especially in in reaching 
um, in reaching others, um, whether they are still in the world and not Christians and dealing with uh, the consequences of their own sin and their own worldview, uh, but also young people who um, do want to participate in pop culture because that's kind of the natural drive of, um, you know, a lot of people who want to be popular or cool. They know uh, what's going on in the world. And, you know, and a lot of Christians, um, and and this is particularly um, the older Christians that I've, that I personally have encountered kind of have a disdain for current pop culture, because as you mentioned, Drew, um, you know, they, they're okay with kind of with the older um, what's been thoroughly vetted and what's kind of, um, you know, Shakespeare is is appropriate enough because it's considered a little more academic. But Harry Potter, um, even though, you know, J.K. Rowling right now has been one of the foremost leaders on distinguishing why the trans movement is so insidious. And she has basically gotten canceled from her own leftist culture because of it. And, and I think the truth telling in her stories, um, which I've read Harry Potter and I've seen the movies, um, and they are so well written. Um, and it is a story and it's, it's an allegory um, to the hero that at the, at the end has to self-sacrifice in order to save the world. And I mean, it is a picture and a hero of Christ and obviously is not... You know, it's not biblically based at all. It's not even reality based, but it is a story that resonates with um, with the savior narrative, which, of course, is derived from the truth of reality, because we all know and understand and believe as Christians, as I believe and you believe um, that Christ came, he lived, um, he died and he rose again. And that self-sacrifice saved uh, humanity. We now can accept salvation through that. And so why is it um, that that there is such a disdain for pop culture and some of these, um, because I find some of the best analogies and references um, to explain different points and to move even the political needle and also to converse and explain to friends who aren't Christians um, through some of these uh, pop culture or literary references that they can resonate with where if I quoted the Bible, they would just say, ah, stop pushing your religion on me. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, a place where I have sympathy uh, for Christians is the fact that, and this is something I struggle with as, a, as an artist all the time, uh, our, our, our world is very degraded. You know, our, our culture is very degraded. Uh, people can't, I was, I was sitting at a bar uh, the other night uh, just having dinner because uh, my wife was out of town, and the two young people next to me were talking, and I, I almost had to move away. Their language was so filthy, and it was just a casual conversation between, you know, a, a couple. Uh, but both the man and the woman were just spewing this absolute filth out of their mouths in a, in a bar sitting right next to me. And, and I just thought, well, this is the, the world I live in. This is the culture that I live in. And when an artist goes to represent that culture, you're going to hear a lot of things that you may not want to hear. I mean, there are ways in ways to deal with it. Uh, but still, it's going to be it's going to be there if you're going to be truthful about the world that we live in right now. Uh, and that's true of sex and, uh, you know, extra, you know, promiscuous sex and all these things. I think you can distinguish, for instance, I, I, I've seen a lot of, I've seen almost all the movies, and I've rarely seen, it, for instance, a nude scene that had to be there. I've seen one or two <laughs> where I thought, yeah, that's justified. But, but usually it's just to get the guys to watch the movie because the girl takes her clothes off. And 
And there, that's a kind of an interesting thing because there actually is a woman there who is an actress, so she's prone to take her clothes off. That's kind of what actresses, actresses are looking to be admired and get attention. Um, but, but maybe it's not the right thing for her to do that. Maybe the, the filmmaker should take care of her a little bit, you know? And so I, I sometimes see that and I think, well, I don't, I don't know if that really had to be there. Most of the time, I don't think it does. But at the same time, just to give you another example, uh, if I have a second, um, you know, I wrote a book, a fantasy novel a trilogy called Another Kingdom. And in it, I have a, a guy who's a Hollywood mogul uh, who is basically using his power to bed women. Uh, and I wanted to make the point that this was a lot of fun. That he was abusing these women and getting to sleep with very beautiful women uh, by offering parts that he was never going to give them. Um, and it was it was bliss, you know. <laughs> and I wanted to make the point that sin is, is not tempting because it's ugly and horrible. It's tempting because it really does feel good, you know? So I wrote, I wrote this, this scene, and it's, it's not a, it's far from a pornographic scene. Somebody accused me of pornography, and I said, <laughs> if I wanted to write pornography, pal, you'd know it, you know? But, <laughs> but I wanted to just show you this fact of, this fact of life, and the, and the moral context is right there. It's not like you think he's doing the right thing. You know he's doing the wrong thing. Um, and yet a lot of people kind of shut the book and sort of said, oh, I'm, I'm out of this, I'm out of here. I just think reality matters in art. I don't think you can tell the truth without telling the truth. And, and I think that even though you tell stories, uh, and even though you can avoid excesses and you can avoid actual immoral actions, uh, like making a story exciting because there's ugliness in it or because there's gore in it, um, you can do all kinds of moral things. But in the end, you do have to speak the truth. And that's the thing that uh, I think Christians have lost. I think they should feel so under siege in our culture uh, that they're kind of uh, hunkering down and saying, don't let anything in, you know, don't open the door at all. But the arts are very important. I think they really do educate us and make us wiser and make us more humane. And I think that uh, you close the door to them and you close the door to a whole set, a whole beautiful segment of the world. Yeah, that that's such a great point that if we as Christians aren't willing to confront um, not just the ugliness of sin, but why it is tempting, because it is fun for a while. It is pleasurable for a while. And, you know, and ultimately um, it doesn't lead anywhere good, but it isn't tempting and we aren't caught up in it because um, at least initially or in, or throughout our whole life, if, if we're prone to one sin, we want to keep doing that. And, and if Christians just have this viewpoint that we have to only show people who have it all together and who live life perfectly, you know, the kind of white picket fence sort of, you know, happy couple with the 2.5 kids and they're doing everything perfectly and everybody is ready right on time Sunday morning to go to church and the kids are all quiet. It actually gives us this false sense of reality that we're definitely not living up to and we know we're not living up to it. And so then it actually becomes discouraging instead of saying, this is what's real and we are all in this together and we all have to understand that the sin that so easily besets us, we can overcome with truth. And um, so we're going to have to take one more break here, but we're going to be right back with more on entertainment and culture and what I think is a really brilliant perspective and important perspective from my good friend, Andrew Clavin at uh, The Daily Wire. We'll be right back.
truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. And welcome back. I'm talking to my good friend, Andrew Clavin from The Daily Wire. And you need to watch his show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Um, I, I can say this even though I love everybody at The Daily Wire, but... Um, Drew is the reason that I'm a Daily Wire subscriber. Like, I mean, I, I love everybody else, but he's actually the reason so that I can see all of his great content. Because I just think, Drew, that you bring um, such a different uh, perspective than um, than really I think we hear across uh, most of the the political commentators and some that are all very very important. Um, but I I just think that your uh, that your perspectives and the things that you comment on are so unique and from a, a, a Christian but truthful uh, viewpoint, which of course is saying the same thing. Christian is truthful. Um, and, and so as we're talking about culture and entertainment and truth in storytelling and, and how Christians view uh, pop culture, um, I kind of want to bring this to, to one very recent example and get your thoughts on this, which um, the, everyone, of course, was very upset and always generally is upset at the Super Bowl halftime show. And I don't know if you watched that. I didn't. I saw some of the clips on, on Twitter. Okay. So um, so I'm sorry that you had to sit through that unless, <laughs> unless it was happy for you. But um, football is just not one of those things that I care about. Um, but I saw the clips later about uh, the, the halftime show and then also the national anthem that, of course, was done by a country music singer and done really, really well. And then there was the commentary around Rihanna. And to me, it's so interesting because I think that just from a, an artistic standpoint, Rihanna is the better artist. And I found it really frustrating, for lack of a better word, that we can't sometimes acknowledge that these secular artists actually are really talented when we only comment, and, and I commented, of course, on this show um, about how overtly sexual she was dancing, how I didn't care for that at all. I thought, you know, all of those necessary and usual comments. Um, but the contrast there, you know, why why is it that Christians tend to not be able to engage at least in and acknowledge that art is talent where it is found. Well, you know, this is this is a major point. It's a really good point. First, I have to I have to say, just as a uh, you know, a kind of warning, a, a uh, caveat that I don't like modern music, and I never have. I grew up listening to, uh, you know, Sinatra, who my father was a DJ, and that's what he played on his show, and I never thought, I never liked rock and roll. I actually grew up in the 60s and 70s and never liked rock and roll, so it makes me unique, you know. Um, and, and usually I don't watch the halftime show for that very reason, but I did watch it uh, this time, and I thought it was awful. I thought Rihanna was awful. I thought the dance was just incredibly boring. It reminded me of a scene from a Woody Allen movie where Woody Allen, uh, you know, is it plays basically a sperm inside a human body, and they look like they're all dressed just like the people in this thing. It was just terrible. I mean, but but I don't know. I'm not a good judge because I just don't like it. But the point, the overall point you're making, the talent is blind, is really important. The talent is like the spirit. It goes where it will. And some people uh, who have talent use it to say terrible things. And some people who have talent use it to say much better things. But if somebody is truly talented, they usually are touching something worthwhile. 
And and let me let me give you. A, a, I have a couple of examples from my own life that are just really interesting. Uh, I, I, I took. I was forty nine before I was baptized. Okay, so I was I was a secular Jew. I was as far from and a, a secular Jew and an artist and living in on the coast. I was as far from being a Christian as it was really as it's really possible to get without being downright evil. Uh, and so it was a long journey for me to, to find this out. And at one point in this journey, usually I would just I just didn't care or I was agnostic or whatever. But at one point I actually became an atheist. I thought, no, I'm an atheist and I'm going to read atheist books and I'm going to inform my atheism with, you know, the great philosophers who are atheists and so on. And I read book after book and, and none of them really held together for me. None of them made sense. And I kept thinking, this doesn't this doesn't actually work. This the logic of this doesn't actually work. And then I hit the Marquis de Sade, who was where we get the word sadism from. And he was a a writer of deeply pornographic philosophy, explaining that if there is no God, you're not beholden to any morality, and you should really just do what nature does, which is use power uh, and to cause pain to weak people who are weaker than you. And, uh, you know, he just writes one sadomasochistic scene after another and then has true philosophy explaining to it. The guy was an artist. He was an artist and a philosopher. And I'm reading this, and I thought, this is the only atheist book I've ever read that makes sense. I'm not an atheist anymore, because <laughs> that, that world that he's describing is hell. That, I can see that that world is, is, is bad, you know, and if it's bad, there must be something that's good, and it must be in the in other direction, and that's the moment when I hit the atheist wall. Here's this guy writing pornography. It is pornographic. It's just awful, awful descriptions of terrible psychotic actions, but it, it sent me on my way to God. Because he was an artist, because he was honest, because he was telling the truth about his philosophy, which was atheism and psychosis, because he told the truth. I saw the truth, you know? So talent always t- tends to reach something that is meaningful. And, you know, if you don't like what an artist is doing or you find it ugly or you just don't need to hear it, that's fine. Like I said, I don't watch horror movies, even when they're good. Uh, but but talent does something, you know? It, it really gets at something uh, uh, that's true about human nature and life. And to tell a, a slightly a brief but slightly more uh, palatable story. When I was 19 years old, I read Dostoevsky's great, great Christian novel, Crime and Punishment, which is about a man who commits an axe murder and is brought to Christ by a prostitute. And I thought, gee, you couldn't walk into a Crossways bookstore and say, could I have that book about the axe murder uh, and, and the story that turned my whole heart around? I think from that moment on, I was 19, and from that moment on, I could never accept modern philosophy, moral relativism, or anything like that. And so... <laughs> And so, you know, art goes where it will, and, the, and talent goes where it will, and it speaks into its time. We live in a very degraded time. Our culture is very degraded. Uh, it's very ill-educated. It's very uh, uh, immoral, uh, and it's very grotesque, you know. And yet, in those moments when somebody speaks honestly about the culture, uh, there is always somehow the Holy Spirit speaking. Uh, I really do believe that. And so... Don't look at what you can't stand. Don't look at what's going to be ugly in your in your heart. But you should always have some respect for a true artist because he's always going to tell you something that you can use. Hmm. And that's that's such a fascinating personal perspective, um, Drew, because you know it, it reminds me of um, Francis Schaeffer's uh, maxim in 
in uh, several of his books, but how, you know, he lived his life as well to say that, you know, people are brought to God and to truth when they see the end result of their worldview and it butts up against reality. And that tension point to say, if this is the logical conclusion of my thought process and what I have subscribed to as my view of reality and where it conflicts with something else that I know to be true, it's in that tension point that we either decide to change our worldview and embrace truth or simply deny reality and intentionally, willfully, and knowingly embrace what is not true. Because I think a lot of people who have varying worldviews that are false, they genuinely believe it. And so when they have, they have just as much faith in their own worldview as Christians do in the truth, they're just placing it in the wrong thing. And so if we can, by uh, really any vehicle, use the written word, use the arts, use philosophy, um, use all of the tools, the empirical reality to which we're presented that, you know, nature declares the truth of God. All of these things can be used to inform every person where their worldview is false and to find that tension point and bring them to that moment that they say, okay, if this is the conclusion of my worldview, I can no longer deny that this is false. And that's then where they become open to the truth. And, and this I think is what the entertainment um, industry can do very effectively and brilliantly. And also what philosophy can do very brilliantly and effectively. And as you were um, speaking about, you know, this particular artist that was an atheist and, and that was used in your life, it reminded me of um, my friend, James Lindsay, who is also an atheist, but is currently um, doing some of the best work, even better than, than some Christians because of, of his philosophical brilliance on the subject on critical theory and on um, the secular philosophies to intentionally in in his view um, show where they are false and un almost unwittingly he's bringing a lot of people who had subscribed to other worldviews into a knowledge of the truth in those areas of philosophy of you know whether it's critical theory or other worldviews um, that are false and then they are open to embracing truth and it's of course my hope that one day he himself will embrace the truth of the gospel and we've had many of those conversations um, but I think it's interesting how a lot of Christians will caveat around what he's saying. And they have to, I was at a conference with him recently and um, they introduced him, the host introduced him as, you know, one of the most prolific writers on critical race theory and lauded all of his accomplishments, but had to caveat. And he's an atheist. Like, by the way, you know, take all of this with a huge grain of salt. And I'm thinking, why can't he just speak truth? And then we take from it in our own critical analysis what is truth. Why do we have to always say that? Just like um, in the entertainment industry, why do we always have to say, well, you know, and this isn't coming specifically from a Christian worldview, like just FYI, in case y you aren't analytical enough to, in your own mind, uh, separate truth from, from falsity. And I think that there's kind of a major flaw in that, that we can't sometimes, as Christians, accept that even non-Christians, by virtue of their presence in reality, can still speak truth on a variety of subjects, yeah. just like art can speak truth. Yeah, I mean, we have there's certainly some kind of evangelical uh, problem, if not an evangelical crisis going on, because again and again, I'm seeing really good 
intellectuals uh, say, you know, I, I know that they're, they're we, I know that we need God to support our morality, but I just can't believe. They call it Christian atheism. Uh, it actually has a name now. I noticed it. I noticed it decades ago, but it actually has a name: Christian atheism. And there are lots of books written with Christian atheism. Uh, Douglas Murray writes these books: The War on the West. Wonderful books. Uh, but he can't. He knows there needs to be God, but he can't believe. Uh, Tom Holland wrote that book, Dominion. Uh, but now he seems to be moving toward belief because he realizes how much uh, Christianity informs his worldview. Uh, but we don't seem to be able to reach out to people like that. Uh, and and it's really interesting that we can't. Um, I, I think it is because we want them to uh, s- swallow the pig whole, as it were, <laughs> you know, instead of making some bacon first, maybe. Um, you know, I, I just think that, I, you know, I talked to, to one guy, I don't want to mention his name, but a fairly prominent conservative, and he just said, you know, I, I just can't accept the Trinity. And I said, well, back up a little bit. <laughs> let's, let's see if we can, we can get to this. There is a God, you know, that would, we can start with that. You don't have to go right to the Trinity, you know. And, and I think that, that maybe... Um, we, we want, you know, there are a lot of wise people who have different attitudes toward Christianity, different thoughts about Christianity. <clears throat> a lot of wise Catholics, a lot of wise Protestants, a lot of people who disagree on points of, um, of theology and yet are, are, would be included in the, in the Christian household. <clears throat> and we don't have to sell people exactly what we think to get them to the point where they understand that if they have a moral worldview at all, they believe in God. They already believe in God. You know, you can't really support morality, any morality at all, uh, without God. If, if there is no God, I think it was Dostoevsky who said, "This is everything is uh, everything is allowable," and and I think that it, until we start to understand that, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're selling what we're what we're selling if we're selling anything is the truth. You know, we're selling the truth, the human truth. Um, what what we see of God is what human beings can see of God. We don't see all of it. We have to have humility. We have to be uncertain. We have to love one another and, and, and not judge one another so much. Uh, and in order to say, yeah, here we all are, broken and in, in trouble, uh, but there is a, another story being told. And, and I don't know. I, I, I don't have an answer for this. I mean, people get so angry at me when I tell them that Jesus was serious about not judging people. Uh, they, they, I get such angry letters saying, no, no, he meant when he said judge not, he meant you should judge. <laughs> I don't think that's what he meant, you know. But, but really, it does begin with that. It begins with having some kind of compassion for everybody where they are. And I, and I include evil people in that, by the way, because I don't think... I think evil. I, I, I think evil is a, a conscious force, in a conscious spiritual force. What we would call the devil, you know. And I think that it gets into you through your broken places. I think the devil finds you where you're broken and starts to worm his way into you through that. And I think that people, even at the very last minute, are salvageable by God, not by me, but by God. And I think Absolutely. so. We have to talk to him like that, you know. Yeah. And, and that's and, the and, essence and think, of the story of redemption. Right. 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 Well, and and Drew, um, I mean, this again, this is why now everyone who's listened to this hour can see why this could have been a five or ten hour conversation. But but thank you so much, (laughs) Andrew Clavin, for giving uh, giving us at least an hour. And, you know, and this actually goes into politics as well, because what you're saying, uh, you know, if you don't believe exactly 100 percent of what I do, then we can't fellowship. People do that to their political candidates as well. If, If you don't stand for the exact 100% of policies that I think, then therefore I can't vote for you. I mean, we see this, everything always comes around to politics, but we see this. And and I think that we do need to take a bigger 
picture of reality and be in the world, not of the world, always speaking truth in love. So thank you so much, Drew. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back on Monday with more of Jenna Ellis in the morning.